0: Shirt from Mr. Putin. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. Because I want the to do you
1: slowly. If you don't vote for the Liberal National Parties, then Anthony Albanese will be the Prime Minister of Australia.
2: Welcome to Edge of the Election, the Edge of the Crowds Politics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and tonight, as always, after a week off, I'm joined by both Joel and Rory. So, how are the two of you this evening?
0: Refreshed and raring to go after the week off. Had to make sure we got the Victorian results correct. So, yeah, no point doing it before the results are in.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll sell them the beers after the Victorian election. That's why. I
2: I mean, they timed the uh, results almost perfectly on election night with, It seemed like it was going to be a long night of counting. And then about half an hour before Australia kicked off in the World Cup, Anthony Green was like, oh, no, this is going to be a Labor government. It's it's a question as to how big the majority is going to end up being. And I think to most people's surprise, the fact that it's going to be a genuine solid majority for Labor is the surprising narrative to come out of the election? Because the Liberals very quickly were claiming that they didn't actually expect to win it <laughs> despite, you know, their attitude for the past two weeks beforehand.
0: Yeah. I don't think we thought the Liberals were going to win at any stage, but it was meant to be a lot closer than uh, than, it, than it was. You know, 52 seats is a pretty big win. Not quite 2018 levels, but very, very close. So to to win by that much for the Labor Party is pretty good effort considering we thought like mid- minority government uh, was on the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to be a bit cautious of uh, my predictions. I think if the federal election is anything to go by, um, and I was pretty cautious this time as well. I didn't, I didn't expect Labor to have to have this strong win. Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought it was within the realm of possibility, of course, but yeah, it was still a bit of a surprise. I think.
2: Yeah, if anything, it ends up coming across looking like a more natural election result rather than a reaction to COVID electoral result. Because as um, one of the Labor Party panellists on the ABC said, like they were expecting a shrink um, as far as the vote because the 2018 result was just so massive. And as of right now, they've only lost three seats um, with five seats in doubt which is a pretty good result considering uh the liberal party has also lost seats in this election
0: yeah for the for labor to lose almost six percent and only three seats is pretty smart politicking to lose those votes in the right spots and to know where uh the votes were going to be lost so yeah just just to lose three seats from the 2018 levels is pretty incredible really you know uh but 5.8 percent down who knows how that's going to swing going forward but it's the, uh, the others also gained 5.8%, so that's independent. So that's essentially where the vote went. Uh, Liberal Party vote also went down, the Greens up just a little bit. So um, nothing too much to read into this. I don't think it's just a, a pretty solid win.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems that, that most, of, most of both Labor loss seem to go to, like, leftish parties anyway, mm-hmm. um, all leftish independents. So people um, who, who, who would likely back them if it sort of came down to it. So, you know... Things didn't work out too badly for them in the end.
2: Yeah, I think that the big results actually come from the Greens and the Nationals. The Greens are going to come away with four seats from this election, whereas the Nationals are going to come away with nine. Um, That's a growth for both parties, whilst the uh, actual vote percentage for the Nationals is pretty much 0%. That isn't to say they got dead on the same amount. Um, And the Greens are just under a percent. Considering the last election was a poor performance for both the Greens and the Nationals, it again is, like, okay, you can see where things are moving in the country at least um, and more regional, like, townships, whereas you can see what's happening in the inner cities, which is a problem for both Labor and the Liberals because they pinched a seat off of both parties, I believe, as well as losing a seat.
0: I'm going to disagree slightly. And I think it's much, it's just much easier to keep your vote the same when you're not actually held responsible for what you're doing. Uh, you, like you're not one of the two major parties. You're not in the limelight all the time. Uh, the nationals are a little bit more so just because of, you know, that coalition agreement. But even then they've talked about maybe you ripping that up uh, after this result, you know, and the nationals have done pretty well across the board in that last federal election as well. They kept things pretty similar while the liberals uh, died in the ass. So, yeah. Um. The overall, I just, I just don't think there's as much criticism on those two parties, and that's part of why the the vote share doesn't really ever go down for them. Ah,
1: uh, you know, obviously with the Nationals, there's a pretty established niche as well that they can appeal to. Um, out in the out in the regions. Um, and that you know, they seem to be pretty pretty good at doing that. Um, across both federal and state levels. So, I'm not too big surprised that they sort of remain consistent.
2: I think that the big win for the Nationals came in Mildura um, where they took the seat back from an independent um, that was a more Greens leaning independent as well. Um, That isn't to say that like it's a reaction to COVID. I think that that's just resuming the natural order of things in um, rural areas. And as far as how the Teal independents performed because there was an ex- expectation that they could win four seats. Um, it's seeming like they're not actually going to win any. The- Hawthorne and Q both went to the Liberals. Um, I think that Q was probably the more surprising one, even though Tim Smith was gone. I just, it just didn't seem like people had the appetite for the Liberals anymore around there. Um, as well as Caulfield and Mornington staying with the Liberals, which were both leaning to looking like maybe going to teals as well but the big winner and the totally in doubt seat of daniel andrews was obviously uh not much to worry about at all it was actually surprising how long it took them to call uh mulgrave because he ended up with 51 percent of the vote on first preferences and yet it took them like four or five hours worth of counting to call this seat just because there were 14 candidates
0: yeah well I criticised Anthony Green last like in the federal election for being a little bit too conservative with his calls and I think that's just what it was again he like there were so many articles out during the lead-up to the election that you know Daniel Andrews is in trouble um, there's so many candidates he's going to lose but then he wins on first preferences you know so he just smashed it out of the park really like obviously not as big of a win as last time but uh, still a, a pretty big win there and for the Uh, For those teal independents, I think part of it is just that it's much more difficult to run that kind of teal campaign at a more local level because the issues that affect uh, Victoria aren't the same that affects like the country in general, you know, climate change and stuff like that. Uh, And corruption is not quite the same uh, at a state level as it it is uh, federally. So running on those really big issues that the teals like to run on just didn't quite break through.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree um, where when it comes to the state elections, it is, you know, the, the local issues. Like, can you, provide, can you provide services efficiently and effectively? Um, can you, you know, will you commit to, you know, like the the small things that will make getting getting the kids to school easier or whatever? Um, I think the Teal's are really out of translate like a lot of the, the big idea policies, um, such as corruption, um, and such as climate change into that state context, although I think there was an opportunity to, like, you know, the Labor government have made pretty big um, sort of pushes into energy policy recently that they that they could have I don't know sort of done something around. Um, and there's also issues of corruption in the the Victorian state government as well. I think they could have like driven a pretty solid campaign there as well potentially. So I think there was just a lot of um, a lot of lost opportunities on the parts of the Teal that was, they just weren't really able to exploit this election like they were in the federal campaign.
2: Yeah, and I think that some of the redrawing of boundaries, at least for the eastern Melbourne suburbs, did end up favouring the Liberal Party. That's how they ended up getting Hawthorne back partially is it ate into that little bit of Q, um, and then Q ate into Box Hill, and as a result, that's swung those votes back just that ever so little bit more for the Liberal Party because in Box Hill, which was expected to go to the Liberals, ended up being a blowout for Paul Hammer and Labor. It was um, quite a dominant win for him. But as far as the actual makeup of the uh, next parliament, there's still five seats in doubt in the lower house. um, But Right now, Labor's sitting on 52, the Coalition 27, and Greens 4. There is currently no independents, and it's actually pretty unlikely at this stage that there is going to be any. So, of the five seats that are left, uh, Narracan's election was deferred, so we're not going to see results for that for another couple of weeks until they have their by-election. But... Uh, in Bass, Northcote, and Preston, Labor is ahead. Northcote is the closest of those between uh, the Labor candidate and the Greens candidate, about 0.4% difference. And the Liberals are just ahead in Pakenham by 0.2%. So these ones are obviously going to go down to every last vote, but, um, preston it's surprising that they haven't called that because labor is quite significantly ahead with 85 percent of the vote counted but at this point we know who's won we know that labor's got a strong majority and are not going to have to rely on the greens at all in this next parliament um and i don't know i don't know what much else there is to say as far as the makeup of the lower house is concerned
0: well, I think it's interesting that, you know, that, as you said, there's three seats likely to go ALP there, which would bring them up to 55, and that's exactly what they won last time. Uh, if something happens in Pakenham, there's only 90 votes different there. Uh, potentially, Labor could finish on 56 seats, and that's a like a one-seat bonus compared to last time around. So they could grow their majority, essentially, even though not quite the majority, but grow their uh, total seat number compared to the last election, which would be... Uh, massive in a, in a result that they were meant to, I don't know, lose or uh, come with, uh, finish up with minority government. So, yeah, a pretty, a pretty comprehensive win, really.
2: Well, and the Legislative Chamber, while being a tighter result, um, it still does end up favouring Labor. So both Labor and the Coalition have won 15 seats apiece. Uh, the Greens have picked up a seat, so they're now on two. The Legalized Cannabis Party is actually the biggest minor party with three seats. And then you've got the Animal Justice Party, Shooters, Fishers and Farmers, Transport Matters, Labor DLP, and then Pauline Hanson's One Nation all on one seat apiece. Um, The big loss here is probably Fiona Patton losing her seat um, from the Reason Party. But all things considered, this, I think, is still a better result than what Labor was expecting, um, especially with the Greens, Legalised Cannabis and Animal Justice Party holding that balance of power.
0: Yeah, so left-wing parties kind of controlling the balance of it, uh, which is good for Labor. It looks like they could have dropped quite a few seats in in the uh, upper house before. So to keep it at 15 each for the Liberals is a, is a pretty good effort there. And uh, interesting that there's just going to be less minor parties than there were before. Um Especially, you know, the Greens are only getting one extra seat. You know, they, they get quite a few more at the federal level and clearly not working for them in Victoria.
2: But ultimately, what do we actually think this means for Labor? Obviously, it's going to be helpful for the legislative agenda regarding both the SEC and um, public transport and the different mm-hmm. infrastructure that they're trying to build with public transport. But four more years, we're kind of expecting a change of leadership at some point in those four years. How long does Dan Andrews last?
0: Uh, I think he probably goes three of the four and then packs it in enough that. But with such a strong result this time around, I don't know, like the predictions, at least my prediction around him leaving uh, was based around minority government and that's not the case. It's a pretty strong result. So if he wants to say another four, um, there's every chance he could do that. I think... What this does, essentially, apart from you know furthering their legislative agenda, is put them in a really strong position, uh, for the next election. You know, that's going to have to be a a very big liberal win if they're going to take this kind of position off Labor next time around. So, puts them in a yeah a really good position for the next election.
1: Yeah, I mean Dan Andrews' leader polls still aren't great. It seems um so we'll have to see how how long people's memories are when it comes to Dan Andrews. Um, because it could be the case that like you know another four years of um, your sort of usual um, you know, relatively stable Labour state government, uh, state governance like, you know, if that keeps up, then um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people sort of uh go back to some level of satisfaction, Dan Andrews. Um it, it's just worth keeping an eye on those leader polls, I reckon. Um, those would be a pretty big determinant there.
2: Yeah, I also think that federal politics ambitions will sway his decision to stay or go. Um If he wants to go for some sort of role in a federal parliament, uh, three years is obviously the limit. (laughs) But then there's also opportunities outside of it. He's got three terms in the bag. There's not many uh, state premiers that get that, especially in Victoria. Um, Does he want to go for four or does he hand the reins over to someone else? I think it all depends. I think also like, the ambitions regarding the SEC and how that goes through, and whether they can pseudo enshrine it in the state constitution properly, um, will end up potentially being part of Dan Andrews's actual legacy. And if that fails, I'll see him. I can see him going a lot quicker than if they get this through as cleanly as they want it to go through.
0: Yeah. Um, the Commonwealth Games were coming up. You might want to do those Commonwealth Games and then move on. So, There's plenty yeah, of options there for him.
2: Um, as far as the Liberal Party is concerned, it was clear that they didn't learn. And oh, sorry, it was clear that they didn't learn any lessons from the previous election. Do we think that they're actually going to have learned lessons this time, other than Tim Smith telling them that they need to push further right, and Jeff Kennett looking angry?
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Jeff Kennett was great. Um, the, the, the only lessons the Liberal Party are going to learn is to go further right. It's the lesson they learned from every election so far. Uh, it looks like the one they've learned from the federal level and they're going to try to do it at the, uh, the state level as well. I think if they want to be successful, they have to actually change what the party is and essentially who's in it. And I don't see that happening anytime soon
1: um yeah i don't know i think the the victorian liberals just seem to have like a very short termist mindset where it mm-hmm. seems like the, the last time they won the, yeah, the last time they won government was on like pretty uh pretty specific uh contingent policy issues um and ever since then they've sort of developed this uh bit of an obsession with uh, these very particular issues such as like the east west link back in um back in 2014 and then in 2018 it was um it was you know, you know you, you're quite on quite african crime gangs right um until they actually, like, articulate, like, a long-term vision for the party that's not just, um, you know, sort of, like, racist dog whistling or, um, or like, building more car infrastructure that people don't seem to want. Um, I'm not really sure what, the, what there is for them. I don't know. Do they go back to some sort of, like, Kenneth thing? But even then, Kennet, like, Kennet really very much benefited from people really sort of hating, like, public transport strikes, right? So um, so, so even then, like, Kennett had had a few things going in his favour. Um, but I don't know, since then, it just doesn't, doesn't seem like the Liberals uh, really, know, uh, really know what they're doing themselves in, in Victoria.
2: Yeah, it the Liberals in Victoria, at least, are in a real interesting position. Melbourne is one of the most left-wing cities in the country. That obviously doesn't help. But it seems like they, the Vic Liberals are trying to be the Queensland LNP often. And it's like, this isn't the state where this works. Yes, you've got a very, very angry minority, but at the same time, that's not a strong voting base. And I think that even federally speaking, you can see which politicians are winning elections for the Liberal Party that they necessarily shouldn't win because of their move towards the centre. And that's people like Bridget Archer who... Probably shouldn't have won the seat of, what is it, Bass in the federal election. But because she voted against the government multiple times and had decent reasoning as well as popular support, both from her electorate and just the media and the Australian public, she won it. And ultimately, I think that what the Vic Liberals need to do actually is get Josh Frydenberg into the party room at a state level. He's the only person that has the credibility to actually win an election for them at the moment because getting Georgie Crozier into the lower house isn't going to do anything for you. Peter Credlin and those Sky News Muppets don't actually know what wins elections. Do you know why? Because they haven't won one since 2013 when they won it for Abbott. So I just, yeah, I don't understand what they think they're doing. And running your mouth saying that you need to push further right rather than going to genuine traditional cons- fiscally conservative values which is the one smart thing that i think i heard from like the sky news pundits that's the only thing that works the cultural stuff clearly doesn't work in victoria so use the smart policy options not the populist pop- policy options yeah, but you- we might sorry there
0: go you ahead. go go sorry.
2: Right. but we might move on to federal politics um and we'll, we'll start with the lightest bit of news, and that is for the second time this year, uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has caught COVID. Uh, so he's attempting the uh, Bolsonaro record of getting COVID as many times as he possibly can inside of 12 months. And look, well, he could get it a third time in the next three months, let's be real. Um, the unfortunate factor of this is that we have recently had the Prime Minister of Finland come to visit, Um, So there'll be a curbing back on the events that he's able to do alongside a fairly well-respected European political leader.
0: Maybe Albo just didn't want to do anything with the Finland Prime Minister. I'm sure we've all used COVID as an excuse uh, in the last
1: couple of years. So maybe that's what Albo's doing here. I, mean, I go, could go go out partying with the with uh, the Santa Mara. It seems like basically literally. <laughs> yeah, uh, they could have gone to Spilt Milk together. Uh... Or they could have gone to Guns and
2: Roses. <laughs> like, there's so many options of where they could have gone together in the past, like week. Um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Um, it's it's great that he got it like right after Parliament ended for the year, I guess. Mm-hmm because at least that hasn't, like, limited his ability to do his job or whatever, but, yeah. Albu's been non-stop since he's been elected, so he probably deserves a week off, even if it's just for COVID.
0: What? Non-stop? He's been overseas for most of it, hasn't he? I don't think <laughs> yeah, he's not, n- yeah.
2: It's not like it has been in Australia. It's
0: not like has been in
2: Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um... But our next piece of news is that a climate protester has been jailed for 15 minutes due to a 25-minute M- road. Months, Sorry, not- <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> a climate protester has been jailed for 15 months due to a 25-minute road interruption in New South Wales. Uh, Dominic Parate says that he's pretty happy about it. Anyone that is like remotely, like even gives the tiniest little bit of shit about the environment. Uh, has been teeing off on Twitter for about a week about it. It feels like, um, and 15 months is overkill, especially when like for genuine violent crimes, people don't get like even a third of that much.
0: Yeah, I don't like. Even if you don't care about the environment, you should care about this because even if you're like this right wing protester, you shouldn't want people locked up for that long. Uh, for protesting, it's yeah obviously no good. I don't want anyone locked up for protesting. It's kind of your democratic right, isn't it? So, for for Perité to be as happy as he is about it is uh is pretty disgusting, really.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty flippant sentence, uh, I think. Where you sort <laughs> you got to sort of wonder, like, what's the purpose of this? Like, our prison's not sort of for dangerous people. Like, how is how is this person a danger in any way? they they're simply protesting. So it seems to sort of undermine the. Uh, the whole sort of purpose of imprisonment for the for the purpose of um i, I guess what parotay might see is like an easy win because it's quite easy to rile up um you know like resentment for for climate protesters so this is okay. i don't just sort of a way of uh, t- exploiting that i think and uh really going hard on this one person i'm um, probably just an example as well i'm um, just trying to really discourage any uh, anyone else from engaging in, in similar protest ta- uh, protest tactics so uh it's pretty it's pretty rough all over really um and quite uh quite disappointing to uh to see perote uh celebrating this uh so vehemently but uh also not super surprising
2: yeah it's especially not surprising that it's come out of new south wales um new south wales police at least have quite a history with uh protesters uh regardless of the cause they uh like to engage in kettling tactics um, and pepper spraying people. They seem to think that they are American cops at times. Um, And that reaction, uh, like, parity, it's one of those things where I'm just like, you you couldn't be the mayor of Melbourne for, like, five minutes because we have protests every freaking Saturday about stuff that's not even an issue anymore. But people want to go out and protest because it's their hobby. Whereas this case, look, I... I'm not a big fan of the holding up roads kind of protesting. Um, I think that whilst it makes some people think maybe you turn a lot of people off of your cause as well at the same time, especially if it's like interrupting roads at peak hour traffic, as well as like the safety aspect. I don't think a 15-month jail sentence is the deterrent that they think it you're is. You're creating a martyr in your own way of being like, I got locked up for 15 months for nothing um and yeah but i mean speaking of people that are potentially going to jail uh reports come out that albo is speaking with the united states uh justice department i think it is about dropping charges dropping charges against julian assange or at least uh getting him moved back to australia which is a huge deal that like Whilst there's been protests in favour of Assange for quite some time now, uh, the fact that this has only suddenly just come out, it's interesting. It makes me think that there's been more progress than, like, if (laughs) if they hadn't actually come out with this because why else would the Australian federal government be potentially talking even about this even even a little bit?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Albanese said they wanted to do uh, it looked like quiet diplomacy rather than diplomacy by megaphone. Obviously, it's a pretty big issue, um, and something that's going to get like massive media coverage, uh, especially in some circles. So, yeah, they're raising it in in uh, in, in public, uh, in private, trying to get that sorted. Uh, it came as, came a, the answer came as a from a question from Monique Ryan, um, like what the government's doing to bring him home. Uh, obviously, like I don't know, the, some of these charges are obviously trumped up. Uh, I don't know if you think he's a good guy or a bad guy. That's up to you. you do whatever you want regarding Assange, but yeah, he's Australian citizen and it should be uh, should be in Australia.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty. Um, I just feels pretty unambiguously good. I'll maybe ambiguously good. To- I mean, maybe the we were, um, yeah, Julian Assange not the most uh, not the most unambiguously un- good guy in the south as far as, but but still someone who I don't think uh, should be imprisoned by the United States government. Really. Um, and Australia, it's good to hear that Albo is taking um, is taking some steps to, uh, uh, you know, to, to bring him back to Australia and uh, sort of remove him from, um, from that. yeah, yeah, from a punishment, I'm not necessarily sure that he deserves it, really.
2: Yeah, I think that the fact that the US wanted to extradite Assange and the genuine fear um, from people that were following the Assange case is that the United States was essentially just going to disappear him. Um, and then that he'd turn up dead two years later or tortured. Um, it is a like unequivocally, unequivocally good thing if we can get him back in Australia, regardless of how you feel about the charges, that sort of thing. Um, it's not like what Assange has done has just affected the United States and the United States, unless it's a violent crime committed against the United States or United States citizens shouldn't be the only ones in charge of what happens in regards to this it's not like everything assange did didn't affect australia if we want to put him in prison look we shouldn't i'll be honest in regards to that case in regards to the other crimes that have been like alleged against him there's a different conversation but for the wikileaks stuff he shouldn't be going to prison (laughs) like that's ultimately like what the case of it is
0: I don't know. I think if you, you, I don't think everything can be leaked, right? There's there's crimes for reasons regarding this stuff. Um, whether he should be in jail specifically is another question. I think the the final point, like the agreement point will be that he comes to Australia and is in jail here for the rest of his life effectively. I don't think there's any way America's going to let him go and not be in prison. So uh, if he wants to come, like if he wants to get out of America, prison's probably the only option uh, to do that
2: yeah and as i said i don't necessarily disagree with that i also think though that like the united states is literally allowed to invade the hague if um, any single like member of the u.s army is charged with war crimes it's like we're gonna play by our rules if you're gonna play by your rules and (laughs) protect your citizens australia which in this case apparently we're doing uh but in another positive piece of news i don't know i'd say it's flown under the radar a little bit uh sentiment so Centrelink payments are set to rise by 6.1%, which is going to be the biggest rise of welfare payments in decades. Um it's kind of in line with inflation. I think that it's very quickly going to not feel like it's in line with inflation, but at the same time this is huge news for not just people that are on job seeker but people that are on the pension and disability support payments. Um and everything under the sun that Centrelink actually covers because it's not just the doll.
0: Yeah, 6.1% might sound like a lot in terms of a rise, but uh, with inflation the way it is, it's it's in line with inflation. It'll be less than in inflation by the end of the year and by next year as inflation gets worse and uh, the buying power of money gets uh, gets lower and lower. So, yeah, it might sound good. Um, you know, it'll make Labor look good in the headlines for a little bit, but you've got to dig a little bit deeper into these things and... Uh yeah,
1: it's not going to be a massive rise for anyone. Yeah, I mean, nominally it is the largest rise since nineteen ninety eight, okay. but yeah, nominal only counts so much when you're in a uh, an inflationary environment, right? So, um yeah, it's a it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, we should really have these sorts of uh, payments pegged uh, to inflation anyway. So
2: yeah, I mean these payments are re-indexed every, well, not all of them, but a lot of the payments are re-indexed every six months. Um. You don't see a 6.1% rise when it's free indexed, though, ever. So I think that the fact that this is outside of the September and March rises is where the actual significant factor in these payments rising comes in. Uh, But ultimately, like, people are still going to kick up a stink about this and say it's an awful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then other people are going to say that it's not enough. Like, you're not actually... To a small extent, you're not going to make anyone happy with this. It is a net positive to an extent. It could be more, thank God it's something, I guess is the only like real way to look at it because, yeah, people are struggling and it's going to be a hard couple of months, especially as we get closer and closer to officially being in a recession because the world wants to pretend like we're not quite there yet. (laughs) That's right. But uh, while we're talking money, it's looking like a price cap is coming for coal in the next few weeks. Uh, I think that we can guess which two states in particular are going to be pretty angry about this one. Uh, But it's hard to say at least what's actually coming in regards to the cap on coal just because of Albo suddenly having COVID again. It's almost like he wanted to avoid the awkward conversation by getting covid (laughs)
0: Yeah, the meetings with the states were meant to happen this week. Obviously, they've been uh, pushed back a little bit now. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. But, yeah, uh, to lower energy prices, a cap on coal makes sense. Um, Obviously, a couple of states, probably Queensland and WA, not all that happy with it just because it's going to affect their bottom line. But if it makes uh, electricity cheaper for people, it makes a ton of sense.
1: Um, yeah, and one, once, yeah, you know, another policy just seems pretty unambiguously good. Um, apart from the fact that, yeah, maybe this will prompt that, that Western Australian uh, secession we hear so much about. <laughs> so it's so a really good news thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's going to just be Labour versus Labour because I can't imagine New South Wales and Tasmania are going to care all that much except for like. Ooh, free market something 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 and i'm sure that victoria and south australia are wrapped with it like okay. it's just one of those scenarios where it's just like this is literally just going to be labor left versus labor right and the federal government is kind of in the center in regards to it <laughs> but yeah i there's it's hard to say what's actually going to come from this it's i reckon it's not going to go as far as albanese wants it to uh palaszczuk and Oh, my God, I've forgotten the fucking WA Premier's name. McGowan. (laughs) Yeah, Palaszczuk and McGowan are going to talk him off the ledge and bring it back to being a little bit better for the private companies. Um, But, I mean, look, if power bills can be a little bit lower this summer and, more importantly, lower in the winter, that's going to be huge for Australian families. Uh, But if we look to the upcoming referendum uh, that... We still don't have a date for it yet, but we've got parties starting to pick sides. In particular, the Nationals have decided that they are against the voice for Parliament because in steps for progress, they think that this doesn't go far enough and therefore are against it, um, which we've kind of seen like those like light takes from the Greens of being like, mm. this doesn't go far enough. So we're like, we're, we're, we're questioning it right now. But for the Nationals so quickly to come out and say, no, we're against this, um, and look, give a bullshit excuse as to why, it's it's funny in the sense of I'm surprised it took them this long despite the fact that there's been no date announced for this vote.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting take from the Nationals. It's like we're so progressive that this isn't good enough and that's why we haven't done literally anything to close the gap in the last two decades of being in government. Um, Yeah, the Nationals are, yeah. Yeah, a cooked party and uh, a cooked take. You can't just not do anything because it's not enough. Um, especially when you're not like putting forward anything that is going to make any difference. They never have and they never will. Uh, because the truth is, they don't care. Um, it's, and it's not their, you know, it's not going to help their voting base. So they're not going to worry about
1: it. Yeah, I suspect if we if we look at nationals like policy or in regards to Aboriginal people, there's not going to be there's not going to be too much right. Um. Um yeah, and you know, it's because this is uh yeah, it's a bit of a virtue, virtue signal. You know, it's it's trying to it's trying to come across as pro-indigenous, but then sort of refusing to uh refusing to endorse this. And I suspect if you put any other policy before them on the table, uh, they'd find some other reason to, to not support that either. Um is it's all just um it's all just a smokescreen to cover up for the fact that they, you know, that their voter base just doesn't want to see any sort of action on this. Um and so they have to um you know they have to you know, con- conjure excuses as to why they they won't act, um, and that's what we're seeing here.
2: Yeah, and like credit to the Greens, who genuinely are so progressive that they don't think it's enough. They have offered solutions, which includes implementing the actual proposed suggestions in reverse, um, mm-hmm. amongst just being like, let's just do a treaty. <laughs> like, there's the Greens are offering something, the Nationals are saying. No, we'll just keep things the way they are because we're too progressive for this. Um, Which, Yeah, we all know it's absurd. It's funny at the same time. Um, Peter Dutton is still claiming to be a maybe, um, which means that in six months' time, the Liberals are going to say no, or they're going to allow a conscious vote where everyone except for Bridget Archer votes no, Um, because that's basically been the order of the day for the Liberals for the past two years at this point.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what side of this Dutton comes out on. He can, like, he could be the face of the no campaign if that's the way he wants to go about it. He can lead that campaign, or he can kind of, I guess, leave it to David Littleproud at this point. Um, I don't see them coming out with a yes, the Liberal Party, so it's either going to be, uh, we're not getting involved, or a no, I would have thought. So that'll be interesting to see for the Greens. I think the major opposition to this within the Greens, like, leading that was Lydia Thorpe, and she's. Obviously, kind of disappeared over the last uh few mo- couple of months. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what the Greens do there. I'd expect that they would support it. Um, that'll that'll probably come out in the next few months. I would have thought.
1: Yeah, even it looked like Lydia, Lydia uh, thought was coming around a little bit, yeah. sort of, sort of toward, towards the end of things anyway. Um, so yeah, you know, I I seriously doubt that. Like once the uh, once the blocks start really consolidating for, for this referendum, I I doubt the Greens would, would seriously oppose it.
2: Yeah, no the greens are, the greens are a yes with conditions. Like and I think that that's always what they were was it was like make some amendments and we're 100% yes. Otherwise we're going to be loud about it in the media but still vote yes. Yeah. Um that's the greens on any bill with labor Pretty at much. the moment. Um but yeah, and obviously the teal independents um seem to all be in favor of it. I haven't seen much about Daly or Cata. Um I can't imagine that Catter is against this, just given that a fair portion of his voting base is Indigenous Australians up in northern Queensland.
0: Katta could come out on both sides of this, no sides of it. Um, I'm not really sure how it's going to work. Like It could be day-to-day for Katta, who knows? Um, (laughs) He he doesn't really have positions on much until uh, voting day.
1: No, I think yeah, that the- I mean, kind of claims the Aboriginal.
0: So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Depending on the day, He's, he's Aboriginal, sure. he's an Italian, he's whatever he needs to be on the day.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then at the I end think- of the day, he's actually he's actually Lebanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I think the interesting thing with Dutton is if he becomes the face of the no campaign, that can end up looking really ugly for the Liberal Party mm. just because he's an ex-cop. There is constantly a conversation about uh indigenous deaths in custody and look it can be used to campaign against them for the next election if he stays as leader of the party um in the sense of him not caring about indigenous issues at all and whilst some people that are right-leaning really like (laughs) in a sense they just do not care about Indigenous issues at all, there are some that see that the optics are bad enough that it can swing them against the party. Um, it's a, it can come across as a minor issue in their heads, but they can also go, oh, I really can't be in favour of, like, this guy, especially when he's the face of the party. And that's what happened with Scott Morrison. But it's going to be amplified with Dutton when his wife has to come out in the media saying that he's not a monster. And that's there's going to be a headline like that again, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, this could end up another uh, Turnbull versus Dutton, uh, like a attack show with Turnbull probably campaigning for it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But overall, I think the Liberals will probably just stay out of it because, yeah, Dutton doesn't want to get involved.
2: Uh, but as for the federal election that has passed in May of this year uh labor's review has found that the focus on scott morrison's character was highly effective um i don't think that that's that surprising just considering the sheer number of scandals that scott Morrison had in the three years of him being prime minister post that 2019 election um and look you might argue that they didn't go hard enough on the him always abandoning the country, that kind of thing. Um, or you might argue that Labor's lack of policy focus, it felt like at times, was the issue in the election. Regardless, I think that how they approached it was a very effective election when it comes to winning seat by seat by seat. I don't think you can argue that it was effective for the Senate.
0: Yeah, I think what this report shows is that Labor did a good job in the last election, but it doesn't bode well for the next one. Um, in that they it wasn't like a majority support for Labor that won them the election; it was a support, uh, like, uh, going against Scott Morrison effectively that won Labor the election. So they're gonna have to find a way to get people on board for the next election, uh, and you know, pass policy that is effective, uh, in furthering people's uh, aspirations and needs and that kind of thing because you can't be focusing on Dardom as much because he hasn't had the chance to do the job yet.
1: Yeah, I think what um, you... Yeah, uh, yeah uh, I, I don't really think this is a good thing, really. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, yeah.
2: I think that the ultimate thing, and you're already I'm seeing sure. it happening, Please, the building it? blocks of it. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I think what you can already see, at least the building blocks of, is Labor is going to go with the Vic Labor approach and really amplify the policy that they are getting through, especially if it goes through to Australians um, directly, be it like infrastructure passing or stuff like childcare. Because what happened with the last week of Parliament included labor touting every single thing that they passed through in the past six months of them being in government and essentially saying that they did more in six months than the liberals did in three years that's not technically accurate at all but labor managed to amplify it well enough that it does feel that way in a sense because they rammed through a lot of policy uh that still had debates around it at the same time be it because there was some sort of um, fracture in the party room regarding a certain piece of policy, or if they didn't quite have the votes in the Senate and they were having to make concessions to the likes of the Greens and Pocock and other individuals in the Senate. Um, And ultimately, I think that their big achievement, which they promised that they'd get voted through at the very least by the end of this year, was uh, the federal ICAC bill passing through. And whilst, look, we've only got the bones of it at this stage, Um, who knows what it's actually going to materialise to look like, but that in itself, especially if it gets a big enough scalp early on, is going to look really good for labour, provided people's memories are long enough, because... Who knows how like how much the long memory of Australians is actually going to last when we're not trapped inside for two
0: years. Yeah, that's right. I think um, just they've just got to keep pushing the policy that they've already passed. The reason it looks like they've passed a lot of stuff is because they've passed the really big things, you know, aged care, uh, education stuff, the stuff they've been talking about for years is, has passed and ICAC is going to be the next one of those. So they're, they're really focusing on the big stuff where the Liberal Party is more focused on smaller Uh, tax cuts—that kind of stuff. That's not not really, um, like you can say tax cuts a million times, but it's not. It doesn't have the same effect as, you know, aged care or, or those kind of policies that Labor's really been talking about for, well, almost a decade, really.
2: But moving on to please explain. Um, it's it's only one thing and one individual, and that is Kanye West, or as he wants to be called, Yay, because oh it's been a doozy two weeks for him it was a doozy week actually uh starting with him walking off the tim pool show uh within like 10 minutes of being there because tim pool would not say that they in air quotes are jewish persons to the most unhinged um episode of uh Infowars that i think anyone's ever seen and alex jones has been sued for like a billion (laughs) dollars for that show so you know um as a result Kanye's banned off of Twitter I don't know if he's banned off Instagram again he probably should be um considering everything but you know Zuckerberg and Elon want to pretend like they're free speech warriors when they're not so you know
0: well uh, yeah when you're on the when you're on InfoWars and Alex Jones looks like the same one um there's definitely some issues there, yeah, the stuff that Kanye's been posting has been you know crazy. The swastika uh star of David hybrid was enough to get him kicked off Twitter. Um I guess there's a there's a point where Elon Musk can't have uh free speech forever. And then, you know, his Hitler stuff. I think that you know, Kanye can be as big of a Hitler fan as he wants, but uh Kanye might like Hitler. Hitler doesn't uh, Hitler would not really like Kanye, I don't think. So he's got some issues. There's obviously mental health stuff there. He's yeah, he's not right. He needs help. Basically, that's what he needs—a lot of help.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, he's become fast friends with Nick Fuentes recently, and, uh, and also Milo Yiannopoulos. Until until recently, I believe Milo has a uh, has uh, has been taken off the the age twenty twenty four campaign, um, for for better or for worse. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been wild well watching uh watching the descent occur in real time. Um yeah. And um yeah I don't really know. Don't really know where Kanye goes in here. Is is he running as a Republican? Yes. So there's
0: a chance that he could be on the debate stage?
2: Yeah. Well it's it's pretty unlikely they'll 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 mimic the rules. Yeah they'll have to change because
0: like he'll definitely get above whatever the you know two percent or whatever threshold is um yeah that would be i I think you've
2: only got a poll at one percent to get on those initial debate stages potentially even less than that i know that the democrats yeah the democrats pretty late it was when they changed it to like two percent from one percent um at the same time i mean you can't really have someone going around saying i love hitler on the debate stage so they might just be like, "Uh, uh-uh, ah, not you, Kanye." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
0: in the Republican Party, just... you just have to imply you're a you're a massive right winger. You can't actually come out and say it.
2: Yeah. Um, no. And uh, the interesting thing is, I can't explicitly tell what the specific thing that got Kanye banned was. I actually assumed it was the fact that he very clearly on Infra wars facilitated in both Alex Jones and Nick Fuentes ban evading. Hmm. Which is what got a bunch of Trump people banned off Twitter for a little bit. Um, when after January six, Trump got banned and he started tweeting from like John Don Jr.'s account and a couple of other persons accounts, and so they all got banned as well. They got brought back fairly quickly. Um, and then yeah, it, it's also just like, how much are you gonna let him say? Like, but, but at the same time, Twitter's brought back like other neo Nazis hmm. like in the past week, so it's. It's just not that surprising at this point with Twitter and Elon. Um, And look, a lot of African-Americans in particular have said like that Kanye's takes are not that surprising. Like if you had asked me in like 2019 whether Kanye would be saying this sort of stuff, I would have said yes. And it's like, look, I would have said yes in the sense of I don't think he's saying it seriously. I right now think he's saying it seriously. And I think that whilst I have sympathy for Ben Shapiro because like Kanye on Infowars very directly attacked Ben. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben like completely blaming it on mental health is absurd. It's it's not just mental health. Let's stop pretending that it is. Yes, uh, Nick Fuentes in particular is using like Kanye's ego and manic episode to like get his messaging out there because... Nick Fuentes is saying things like half a step back from Kanye. It's better coded, but it's still explicitly anti-Semitic. And yeah, I just look, mental health isn't an excuse. Um, It can explain very, very small parts of this, in particular, the fact that he cannot control what he is saying and has to be like an objector to every single little point. But you know what? Sometimes you're just a racist, anti-Semite, and that's what Kanye is. It's that he's lost the ability to filter it. He, Bench Bears shouldn't still be giving him like the tiniest little bit of grace just because he doesn't want to fire Candace Owens.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's yeah, it's just all crazy. The reason that the that Twitter gave for banning him was incitement to violence. So uh, I guess that's that's the reason they came up with. Makes sense to me. Uh, Joe Biden said that he wants to make a few things clear. He didn't specifically reference Kanye, but he said he wants to say the Holocaust happened. Hitler was a demonic figure, and instead of, instead of giving it a platform, our political leaders should be calling out and rejecting anti-Semitism. So I guess that's I guess it's directed at Trump, maybe, who's hasn't specifically called out Kanye. I don't know who else he would be talking about in that context, unless he's okay. suggesting that Kanye himself is now a political leader, maybe.
2: I think also, though, there has been, like, the timing of it all, there is stuff going on in Israel currently, um, both with, like, tensions with Palestine um, and the Middle East being a lot more direct towards Israel as well. Um, ultimately, like, Biden's statement can mean a million and one things. Um Kanye's stuff doesn't really mean all that much. It's, But it could end up resulting in a synagogue getting shot or something like shot up or something like that. Like this is just going to build towards some other psycho like inciting a terrorist attack um, against Jewish people in the United States. And no one wants to see that. Like that's fucking awful. But we might move on to Elon Watch because it's been an interesting couple of weeks for Twitter Um, the, the most disappointing thing from Elon, I think, was giving Australia's very own Avi Yemeni a little bit of clout by responding to one of his tweets, um, where Avi was basically fishing to try and see if, like, Twitter had interfered in the Australian election. And Elon's response was, I've seen a lot of concerning tweets about the recent Brazil election. If those tweets are accurate, it's possible that Twitter personnel gave preference to left-wing candidates and it's like really (laughs) like we get it you probably did want Bolsonaro to win Elon but you shouldn't actually be responding to this sort of stuff because this is interfering in elections as well
0: yeah well that's right that's what Elon's using the whole platform for right isn't he He wants to have a little bit more political control and Twitter's allowing him to do that um yeah I don't think there's any suggestion that uh, like there was any uh left-wing influence from twitter uh with the Brazil election, if anything, probably the other way. Um but you know the left wing uh left wing uh party won so you're not going to get these like these conclusions unless the party wins. So that's probably part of it. And Elon obviously has a political bias to the right. We've seen that for months, years now. Uh, so it's not all that surprising that he come out with something like that.
1: Yeah, I just don't really want to hear it from our uh, Elon, are we who, who we want to most, Yeah, to be yeah. honest. So. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and also, like, you've then got people in the, like, replies being like, now do France, like, now do this country, because there's been a lot of elections in 2022 and it didn't really favour right-wing candidates all mm-hmm. that often. Um, so, like, every South American election, Europe, or at least a, a couple of European elections, Australia, um, I don't know, maybe he'll come out and say that the Malaysian election was rigged as well. Who knows? I don't think he's going to say that Nepal's election was rigged, though. So, you know, he's he'll pick and choose his elections as far as the candidates that he enjoys um, or think, I don't know, are good enough posters on Twitter because is Bolsonaro a poster guy like Trump is?
0: Uh, I think he's too busy lying in a COVID bed most of the time to be able to tweet anything.
2: Fair, fair. I mean, that's when Trump got some of his best tweets out, I'd say. But the other thing is Elon's been posting about the World Cup a lot. And apologies, Joel, that we're talking about sport once again. (laughs) But um, I get that as far as consuming news goes, um, Twitter is a place that a lot of people go. I don't think that that many people go to Twitter to consume sport. Um, Yeah, we like to tweet at each other and post memes. But at the same time... That's the enjoyment of Twitter. I don't need to find out the results of every match from Twitter. I downloaded the FIFA World Cup app for that. But uh, the push has been a tad ridiculous and going to people that don't really care about football that
0: much. Yeah, there's like 15 of the last 20 notifications we've got on Twitter have all been World Cup stuff. It's just a little bit over the top considering like every new service is giving you uh, notifications. Uh, I think that it's it's just good for engagement on Twitter, and that's why Elon's pushing it so much, and has been talking about it. It's talking about it a lot uh, in the build up to the World Cup, and now that it's on, talking about it a lot again. So, uh, yeah, I guess good for engagement. Maybe that's about it.
2: Yeah, I think that the interesting thing is like we are fifteen months, after post an Olympics. Actually, we're nine months post an Olympics as well. Hmm. Um. And we weren't getting notifications like this for the Olympics of, like, this Australian athlete is in a final, like, or oh, this big final is happening. See Sean White's last performance, like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but every single World Cup match, I get, like, three notifications of a score update. It's not, And it's not even, at like, right when the goal is scored. It's, like, 10 minutes after a goal is scored. And it's not bang on halftime. It's at, like, 47 minutes. And it's, like... Guys, come on. It's not that hard. <laughs> like, ultimately, the notification set up for the World Cup, not great. It seems like it's kind of just being manually pushed rather than automatically pushed, if anything, as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the case.
2: But that pretty much brings us to the end of tonight's episode. So, Joel, Rory, would you like to share your social media handles?
0: At Rory underscore Dennis on Twitter
1: uh joel w duggan on twitter and also on substack now
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes joel you've
2: anticipated the death of twitter and gotten yourself a substack
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly
2: uh you can find me at dodzy 161 on twitter instagram tiktok this has been edge of the election you can find us at edge election pod on twitter and instagram edge of the election is part of the edge of the crowd network you can find us at edge of the crowd on twitter instagram tiktok linkedin Facebook. Everywhere, pretty much. You can also read any of our stories, be they about politics, sport, or culture at www.edgelesscrowd.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.